Moncrief on News Talk. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, uh, good afternoon to you. How are they, Sean? He, he actually has the same birthday as me. Does he? Yeah, which which a friend of mine decided one day when we were out would be hilarious to call me Johnny Bieber from now on. Yes. So that's one of my many <laughs> nicknames. You're, yeah, you're a fund of Justin Bieber. Uh, we must bring you back in for a special slot uh, on that. Anyway, uh, let's look at uh, some more serious topics. Uh, the UK we're going to go to uh, first. And this is a story about uh, the UK Army giving out ceremonial daggers. Yeah, so this is something that they've done for years and um, there are people who are now calling for it to be stopped and and really the reason for that is because it was used in a murder recently, right? So this was back in November of 2021 when a man by the name of Colin Reeves killed 36-year-old Stephen Chappell and his wife uh, Jennifer, who was Mm. three years uh, younger. You might remember Mm, the story about this actually. Yeah, because it was a ridiculous um, consequent, the, the the story around it was quite ridiculous. It was a dispute over parking that had been going on for a long time. Now, apparently, these were pe- neighbours who got along very well with each other for a very long time. But then, when Jennifer Chapel decided that she was going to learn to drive and then acquired a second car, parking became an issue, right? Uh, and it it came to a head. In fact, even before this murder happened, the police had to be called around to stop arguments on three separate occasions, right? This guy, Colin Reeve, who was an ex-Royal Engineer, jumped over his back fence and into their house and he stabbed them with a knife that he had been given when he left the army in 2017. Right? He was later, uh, later convicted and he was sentenced to life in prison and has to serve a minimum of 38 years. So off the back of that, the senior Somerset coroner, a woman by the name of Samantha Marsh, has written a letter to the Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, urging him to consider the appropriateness of such gifts, right? So Mm. she said, basically, that the dagger was not a blunt replica. It was a fully functional weapon capable of causing significant harm and sadly, in the chapel's case, death. Uh, and and this is a report that she put together, which which is called a prevent a prevention of future deaths report. Would you believe? Yes. Um, well. So he he has to reply to that. He's under an obligation to reply to that by April the twenty fifth. And uh, I wonder will they turn around and stop giving those ceremonial daggers out? Yeah, well, you can understand why they gave them. It's strange that it's actually a functioning knife. It- doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could, you could easily give something else that's just as symbolic uh, and, 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 it, and it doesn't have to kill people as it did in this particular case. Yeah, and these are retirement gifts. Are they? When, yeah. you, when you're leaving the army, you get one of these. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I do, one wonders where this particular idea comes from. Uh, but I suppose... Uh, uh, they'll respond in time to this, I assume. Uh, absolutely, they yeah. Will. yeah, yeah, they're, they're obliged, as I said. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, uh, Greece, we're going to go to next. Now, this this is interesting because later on in the show, we are doing an item about uh, metal detectorists and archaeological sites, uh, which is causing a bit of tension, to put it mildly. This is an assault on an archaeologist in Greece. This is is exactly that an assault on a man by the name of Manolis Paros, uh, who is a 53 year old archaeologist. He works for the State Archaeological Service. Right? He's based in Athens and on the 7th of March, a few days ago now, uh, he was near his house walking towards his car when he was attacked. He doesn't know if it was by an individual or a group of assailants, but he was very badly beaten. I saw some of the photos uh, and he was he was really he was really badly beaten up. He had a broken nose, broken ribs, was left unconscious on the side of the road. 
um, eventually was picked up and, and it, he, he gave his report and he spoke to colleagues and it seems that's what's happening here is that it was a pointed and professional attack. This is what his union are basically saying. Mm. Um, and off the back of it, uh, some of them, some of the state archaeologists went on a five hour work stoppage right outside the culture ministry. Right now, there's two strands to this. The first one is who would attack an archaeologist? And you might have. Yeah, a, a another archaeologist, maybe. <laughs> another archaeologist, uh, but also developers uh, who, of course, ah. they probably don't have the same interests, uh, particularly yes. in Greece. You know, Manolis Farah's job is to basically, you know, ar- you know, do archaeological digs and protect sites and developers want those sites to be swept aside so they can build hotels and that kind of thing, particularly in islands like Mykonos, okay, which is where okay. they suspect this assault or the plan for this assault originally came from. So at the moment, there are two businesses in Mykonos under investigation for encroaching on sites. And this man, the 53-year-old archaeologist, was the man who pointed them in the direction of the police. Okay, so the the his himself and his colleagues reckoned that this was a kind of a hit, if you know what I mean. Although it wasn't, yeah, know, but we can infer that he had been working on Mykonos and that he had perhaps made recommendations counter the interests. Exactly, of developers. that is his area. He's been ten years working on the archaeological service of the islands in that particular area. That's his. That's his brief. Okay, yeah. So he he knows who he's up against. I mean, there's only ten thousand people live on the island of Mykonos, so. You know, if you're going along to these things and you're 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 sending these people in the direction of the police, uh, you're you're going to make enemies. Although this is unprecedented, the the other strand to it that I should mention is the fact that the the uh, the union that represents the archaeologists believe that the culture ministry aren't doing enough to protect them. Right? They say that the culture minister at the moment, a woman by the name of Lena Mendoni is finding more in favour of the people who want to build on these sites and build on Mykonos than the archaeologists. And she said a few things in the past about archaeologists that have not been too complimentary. Little snipes, if you know what right. I mean. Right, OK. Yeah. Uh, when this man was, uh, this beating took place, he, he, well, as you say, he's not too sure how many people are involved in it, but there was no warning or, or no, this is for what you've done in Mykonos. No, there was, like n- that. not that I'm aware of, there wasn't. Uh, he was absolutely surprised by this, as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. Crikey, that's terrifying, really. Uh, archaeologists of all people. Uh, right, uh, the uh, Kenya we're going to go to uh, now, and uh, one bar in every town in Kenya. Is that, is that the maximum or the minimum? Well, this is what they're trying to bring in. This is the vice president. He's relatively new. Ragathi uh, Gachagu, as his name. Um, he The elections in Kenya were in August of 2022, I think, so he's not been in power long, and he's trying to make a mark. He comes from, I think there's nine, eight or nine provinces in Kenya, and he comes from the central province. So he's trying to bring this measure in, no pun intended, in uh, his own backyard, all right, Mm. even though he has nothing directly to do with the issuing of licenses to bars and that kind of thing. And he's doing it because he basically feels, along with many other people, that there is a massive alcohol problem in Kenya. We've covered stories about illicit hooch on on this slot before where people have died and that kind of thing. Um, So he's proposing that every town in his central province uh, has just one bar per town. Uh, and that's it. Uh, and that's all they can have. Now, that's going to make an awful lot of people very unhappy. Uh, Except among the them, person who owns that bar. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the Bar Owners Association have come out and said it's ridiculous. And they say that something like 17,000 businesses employing 
over 100,000 people will be affected by this measure. I think they might be exaggerating slightly, but with those numbers, but, uh, you know, there will be people that will be affected by it if it does come in. Right. And and have they given any details as to how exactly this would work? Uh, and like, and, and does it depend on the size of the town? No, the, uh, again, these are all great questions. And, and, and I don't know. They haven't given too many details around that. And, and it's funny because I looked at this province. I sort of said, I wonder what the makeup of it is. Like, you, could, you know, is it like Nairobi, which is very densely populated? Mm. But this place isn't. It's 88 percent rural population there's about 4 million people live in it so you can imagine there's little villages with little she beans in them or whatever they call them there yeah. you know all over the place so how do you police it I mean they haven't been able to do it thus far even though rules are in place yeah um, and, and, and yeah I want to assume there are kind of licensing rules as it is are, are they being adhered to largely <laughs> so as I was looking into this I came across a great article on the BBC where a woman went and she interviewed got a vox pop and you know interviewed got ideas from people and she went to a bar and obviously most of the people in the bar were against it um, and then she went on to say that she was there at 11 o'clock in the morning and that was when she was speaking to the people <laughs> even though it wasn't supposed to be open until 5. Right, so okay. you can imagine it, it's going to be quite difficult to, to police uh, given that there's very high levels of corruption there as well. Yeah. And in these like little villages kind of in the back of beyonds kind of thing are they like? Are they making their own hooch kind well, of thing? You see, this is the other thing, and this is what the people who were interviewed in this piece uh, by the BBC said as well. That you know, if you get rid of these bars, all we're going to go are going to do is go down to the river, basically, which is a metaphor for going to a you know a brewing den and oh. getting illegal hooch. Uh, so they've got stuff there called Changa, I think it's called and it'll blow your head off. Um, so they're sort of saying, you know, you'd be better off keeping it in bars that at least have a license and there's some sort of uh, regulation to it. Um, yeah, going to the river is a lovely phrase, but <laughs> now that you put it, uh, now that you explain what it means. Uh, right, Honduras uh, has just given the go-ahead for the morning after pill. Yes, uh, this is something that's not been around for 13 years, at least not legally. So Honduras has a new president as well. Xiomara Castro is her name. She's actually the wife of President Zelaya, who was ousted in a coup Mm. back in 2009. He's about 70 now. Um, So she's come into power. She's the first woman uh, to be the president of Honduras. And she did say when she was coming to became president that she was going to look at women's reproductive rights and everything around that. So this is the first thing that she's done uh, in that. Um, Did I mention it had been it, it was it. Had, hasn't been there for 13 years. I did yes, say that, yeah, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, not legally. Not legally, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this might well be a first step uh, along the way to, let's say, the broadening of uh, reproductive rights and various different things that go around that in Honduras, which is a very conservative part of the world. Yes. And, and it, it, the fact that the morning after pill, is it being branded as an abortifacient or are they calling it something else to kind of make it more acceptable well, for people? Well, she said when she announced this on International Women's Day, of course, that it was part of women's reproductive right and not abortive. Um, right, okay. So, yeah, so there's some, yes, there's some polishing the words there yeah. uh, a bit. And if if abortion isn't legal there, are, are, are there backstreet abortions there? Is that a problem? Oh, uh, huge amounts. I mean, so abortion isn't legal there under any circumstances. You can go to prison for six years. And according to the United Nations, there's between 50 and 80,000 backstreet abortions every year. 
Wow, that's an extraordinary number. Mm. An extraordinary number. Uh, right, uh, we're going to go to Malawi uh, next, or kind of in that neighbourhood. Uh, and, you know, you want to hear about the, the huge uh, natural disasters. Uh, this one is about a, a cyclone. And uh, what kind of damage has it done? So, I'm, I'm, so, I don't know how much... I don't remember there being much coverage of this over the few days that have yeah. happened, given the amount of people that have been affected by it. So the, 522 people have died, right, as a result of Cyclone Freddy in these three countries, Malawi, Mozambique and Madagascar. Um, the majority of those died in Malawi, about 450 there, thereabouts. Uh, but so many others have been displaced. All right. So you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people have been affected by this again, particularly in Malawi, which I seem to remember last year was very badly affected with floods and is repeatedly affected uh, and more often affected by floods uh, in, in recent years. And what's strange about Cyclone Freddy is the fact that it uh, it hit land first in Madagascar on February 21st. Then it went into Mozambique and Malawi. It went back into the Indian Ocean and came back for a second time oh on March God. the 11th. The same cyclone came back and did damage uh, on several occasions. Um, so it's we still don't know the extent of the damage uh, because obviously there are areas that are still inaccessible. Uh, but the World Meteorological Organization think that this might have been the longest ever cyclone in recorded history. And of course, they're putting that down to you know what. Yeah. And th- these countries have not been fortunate in other regards as well anyway, in terms of cholera outbreaks. And yeah, well, so, so both Malawi and Mozambique uh, had a cholera outbreak, which was the result of floods that were there from last year, from February and March of last year, which I think we might have covered, but I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, and this is cyclone season, so yeah. who knows? Am I getting yeah, oh, anyway. Absolutely, this could go on until April, absolutely. Yeah. Right, so what should we look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, speaking of cyclones, it's World Water Day on uh, Wednesday, <laughs> uh, so there'll be plenty of coverage around that uh, and accessibility. And then Thursday, uh, the Albanian Prime Minister, Eddie Ram, is always a very interesting character, is uh, visiting, visiting the UK. Been a lot of controversy around Albanians and the like in, in the United Kingdom, mm, so it'll be yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he addresses that. And then on the same day, Joe Biden is going up to meet uh, Justin Trudeau in Ottawa. Ah, oh, damn. I thought you were going to say Joe Biden's going to meet Justin Bieber. That would have <laughs> brought a nice completeness to our section. Jonathan, thanks a million. Uh, Jonathan DeBerka, Butler you. there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.